guys, and welcome to Waiting in the Wings with me, Lucy. And Anthony. Live, live from, from lockdown. lockdown. So for those of you who have not uh, heard our podcast before, we are uh, two musical theatre lovers who enjoy all things musical theatre and just want to speak about it all day long. So we came up with this podcast to speak about lots of exciting things that have been going down in the West End, off West End, and because of recent world circumstances, stuff that's going online. So you are currently listening to our special Live from Lockdown edition, where we're going to be speaking about some of the musical theatre productions that are happening uh, on the web. How's your week been? Your lockdown week been, Lucy? What things have you been consuming? What things have you been listening to? Anything fun that you want to report back on? Um, I've been watching Lost. Lost? Yes. Love it. Um, I attempted to watch this in the first lockdown, but I felt too lost personally to then feel lost watching this said show. However, it is amazing. Um, yeah. I like re-watching it. It's, it's great. It's not obviously a musical, but... If it anyone, has music in it. Yeah, it has music <laughs> in it. And it's got a theme. There's a lot of themes, musical themes that happen. Um... What about you? What have you been watching? I have been watching, well, actually, I've been listening as my musical of the week to Catch Me If You Can, which has been quite a fun, jazzy musical to listen to. Um, It's obviously based off the film, which was uh, starred Leonardo DiCaprio and Tom Hanks, I believe. So, yeah, I mean, it's good. I try and do a musical a week whilst I'm in lockdown to listen to and sort of expand my musical theatre, my musical theatre knowledge and range. So, but we're halfway through lockdown. We're nearly there. We've nearly made it to the end, so very excited to finally get out of uh, get out of our houses again and be able to go and uh, do some more things. See live theater. So every, everybody's talking about Jamie starting up. Six is starting back up in December. Not 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 too long now. Two yeah. weeks. How are they even rehearsing? It's crazy. Well, you're allowed to rehearse in a workspace, so rehearsals are still allowed to go ahead. So I think they're currently rehearsing at the minute. Yeah. Okay, so last week we obviously spoke about the fantastic title of show and we hope you guys have listened and enjoyed that um, episode. This week we are going to be changing our tune a little bit, still going along the theme of stream theatre, but we are going to be speaking about uh, Sondheim's Marry Me A Little, which was streamed at the Barn Theatre in Circuncester. I have no idea where Circuncester is. Do you have any idea? Where? Absolutely Like, no honestly, clue. if you ask me to point it out on a map, I'd literally have no clue. I'd, I have I'd a- say South. I think it's south, but I, I have a feeling it's near Wales. I want to say it's like that direction. Maybe. Um, but yeah, the Barn Theatre have been actually killing the game over lockdown, haven't they? Like literally slaying it. Have you seen any of the stuff that they've been doing? All the like online digital content stuff. Was it Bard from the Barn? Did you watch any of the no, Bard I from didn't. the Barn? I didn't. Tell me more about um, it. Well, they, they did like Shakespeare monologues. So they got a bunch of directors to work with actors both established and new to do like a Shakespeare monologue and then they streamed it in a sort of modern and I think it had to have something to do with COVID and the times at the minute so it had to be COVID related so it's like translating a Shakespeare monologue into a very sort of contemporary uh, Shakespearean yeah. lockdown way and then they've also done that Tweedy the Clown thing I don't know if you saw that but they've basically been trying to engage their community as much as they can in um, online theatre as possible and they've been one of like the pioneers of getting work up and going I mean they did uh, Marry Me A Little as a live performance as well as doing it online so they've been pushing through as much as they can and they created that barn festival which is like i think they created it all in like 10 days like i think Damn. the artistic director and the executive director were like okay we really want to do this festival let's get it up and they staged it all or 
produced it all in 10 days and had it going. I think it, it was like insane over Twitter. Like people were like, oh my God, they're incredible. But you know, it takes some guts to be like, especially in this time to be like, oh my God, we're just going to go like we're do just it. going to do it. Yeah, exactly. So yeah, we're obviously uh, speaking about Stephen Sondheim's musical review, um, which bizarrely featured songs that had been uh, cut or were originally from some of Sondheim's iconic shows like Follies, uh, Company and Little Night Music, to name a few. Um, it's quite an odd one because it doesn't particularly have a crazy linear story to it and it's a, only a two-hander as well, but obviously features all of these songs that he didn't end up using in their original shows and sort of, uh, I guess, collaging, you know, like, you know, s- sticking them together to make a sort of plot that goes through. So the show premiered in October 1980 off Off-Broadway um, and then moved to Off-Broadway in March 1981 uh, at the Actors Playhouse and then it opened in the UK in June 1982 that's at a the pretty King's, quick turnaround. Yeah, in, at the King's Head Theatre. So obviously it was very popular at its time in that more sort of, you know, smaller scale uh, venue. Um, and then it was revived in September 2012 at the Clermen Theatre back in uh, Off-Broadway like, again. That's like 40 years. That's insane. Yeah, yeah, it is. Literally 30, 30 years after it opened in the UK. So obviously it's a, it's quite a malleable piece in the, in the times. Yeah. You know? Um, so yeah, there's some sort of facts about it. And before we get started, obviously we have to start with our disclaimer that these are spoilers ahead. So if you've not watched the online production, get on it before you listen to this podcast. Um, and obviously these are our own opinions as well. Theatre is so subjective and obviously take everything with a pinch of salt. Um, but we're here to mostly celebrate all the fantastic things that people have been doing in lockdown. So one of our big segments always is to chat about the theatrical experience. We spoke a little bit about it in title of the show and how it feels very different because you're not in a theatre anymore. Was there anything different particularly about this experience that you thought uh, watching this particular show rather than title of show in regards to sort of like the atmosphere and the venue? Did you stay away from your phone this time? I did actually, apart from towards the end where like someone sent me a really important email. I was like, I need to look at my phone. Um, But I think because it was filmed on stage... Like it was, and you could see that it was audience actually watching this production. It did feel a lot more theatrical. Yeah, no, I agree. But then title of show, I felt, it's like really strange. With title of show, I felt that they were performing to us, like to the camera, like in an online setting. Whereas I felt, I didn't feel that from um, Marry Me a Little at all. Like I didn't feel like they were performing for us. I think they were performing for the audience that was there. Yeah, completely. But I don't necessarily think that was a bad thing. Yeah. It's just a different way of interacting with the camera. I don't know. I don't know. It was really strange this time because obviously being a more theatrical production rather than sort of a cinematic production, I felt... I definitely noticed a lot more that I wasn't in a theatre. Yeah. I think than with Tyler Show. I think the way that Tyler Show was filmed where it was definitely more cinematic, it was it felt right sitting on your couch with, you know, you know, maybe eating your lunch, doing whatever. But this time I was kinda like, Oh, I feel a bit odd because I know that they're in a theatre performing it and I know that there's audience there because they're clapping. And I just felt a bit more like, Oh god, it seems so strange. But I, I, I still liked it and I still really enjoyed it. It just was a it felt like a different experience, I think. Yeah. Also there was like so much um brilliant and beautiful lighting design that I felt like sometimes yeah. the camera I was like, Oh, I wouldn't see it for, like from the front, like the full picture. Um whereas the camera was definitely directed towards like more subtle moments or like it had those like close-up moments and sometimes when you do watch a full theatrical performance as we spoke about last week you want to see the full picture yeah so what were your positives of this show what really stood out for you what did you think was super successful it's it's such a bizarre but interesting show i think yeah the thing that i found 
interesting was the brilliance of the storytelling through maybe that the songs weren't really they didn't really make sense with what they were doing on stage but the the way that it was directed and the way that they took some of the lyrics like changed them like the one that really stands out for me was in can that boy foxtrot obviously she's texting this guy and the way she lingered and i don't know if that was the musical director um arlene mcnaught or the way that she like lingered over the far like it nearly sounded like she was gonna say like f word because she was like texting this boy that she was going to have him come around to her house like a little boogie call um i just thought that was such an interesting way of making that song um relevant and modern and recontextualizing it without having to change any of the lyrics i'd be really interested because i believe that was from follies right was that originally from follies i think it said potentially Uh, um yes uh, and obviously there is no way that that F, the F-bomb, I think, would make sense in Follies no. as a show. So, yeah, I wonder whether it's it's meant to sort of be sung like that. I think it's really interesting that they changed it, if so. Um, but, yeah, it's it's a bizarre thing. It really is. It feels very collage-like, you know. Like, I don't... Th- it's quite uh, a feat for them to be able to... Uh, mix all these songs that weren't didn't belong in other shows into a story that makes sense. I mean, obviously, I don't think that the narrative is the strongest. But, but it's still a, it's, a linear narrative. Yeah, like absolutely. Yeah. And it makes sense. Yeah. And I, I think one of the really important things with the show that I think they did really well is, as you were saying, making those storytelling moments super, super clear. Yeah. Like, I could really tell you exactly what happened in their relationship, why they broke up, why they're there, what they are, what they're still yearning about each other and the journey that they go on in these, like, in this apartment that they have, like, by themselves and I think that's fantastic because it's sort of like a Sondheim jukebox musical but done in such a clever and interesting way that it still really makes sense I mean they've done better than most jukebox musicals out there yeah. and this is a show that these songs really weren't ever meant to be like can as you, one I think like one of the just the positives that I just kept thinking of during the show was can you imagine being such a successful composer that someone decides because I'm guessing like Sondheim didn't think oh I'm gonna put all the songs that I cut out like I think the idea was brought to him maybe yeah I I mean I have no idea I think I think someone told me that um, at school um and can you imagine being such a successful composer that someone comes to you and says I want to take some of the songs that you've cut out from your successful musicals and put them in another musical and fit them all together to create a whole new musical you'd feel so you'd be like um sure sure like there's a reason why they and the songs are good yeah like, really good and they're they're used a lot for auditions because they're great um standalones yeah that they have completely. great storytelling um i just think that's amazing like, it's, it's quite nice as you mentioned that sort of standaloneness of them yeah um that it sort of gives little vignettes of of feelings that they're having so i guess they could be taken in both a sort of more you know open way but also can be so specific. Like there were some numbers, especially that uh, Celine, uh, I'm going to butcher her name. Is it Celine? Celine? I think Celine. Uh, uh, sung that uh, could, you could really take out of that show and put as its own story. Mm. Um, however, it fits so well into this particular narrative as well that it works. I think the one thing that also really spoke to me was the uh, set design from Gregory oh my McDonnelly. Gosh, completely, um, yeah. The lighting design. I just thought it was beautiful the way that they had these kind of lit backdrops of like New York and you know like we've spoken about this on the podcast before I'm not a fan of um projections out of place out out of place projections but these kind of weren't they were very integral to the story it made it feel modern they acted as like the phones of the texting as well um, the social media posts um all of that really helped um embellish the narrative rather than um making it 
taking it out like what we spoke about with the Le Mis projections yeah. where Le Mis is such this traditional show that the projections kind of distance you from the the time period it's in whereas i think this really emboldened it mm. um and the lighting design whoof, yeah very whoof, so whoof. subtle but so effective the blues the yeah. blues and you felt like the music was being um kind of like played through the lighting design of like the lamps and like where mm. it was like yeah. warmth and the the coldness and you know the light from outside through the new york skyline came i just thought it was absolutely beautiful it's it's nice actually because as you're saying with a sort of subtleness that uh it worked so well because even though it wasn't this sort of blaring set design or lighting design i think it offered such an understanding of the narrative and who the characters were that it sort of fed into that idea of okay if you don't have a crazy narrative that you can really push a through line through that you can tell the story in different ways so I understood even instantly from the first moment that they walked in who they were by their different apartments you know and the lightings because obviously um Rob Houchins he had a more a bit more of a colder color in his house so mm-hmm. it obviously showed it felt a bit more empty and a bit more lonely and that there's still something that he was yearning from whereas I guess in Celine's that she was it felt a bit warmer and that she was she was sort of ready for something I guess you know yeah. that you know there was sort of a sense of progression there um, so yeah, it was really nice and I think worked in, in such an effective but, but subtle way for this production. And what about the cast? Obviously, absolute powerhouses. I want to see Celine Showmaker in something else because I am so surprised that I have not seen her. Yeah, in, same here. Because her storytelling, her meticulous eye movements, her hand movements, she is acting from the tip of her head to the tops of her toes and her voice is in some songs it sounds so traditional and oh my gosh, yeah. it flips then into this powerhouse like almost like idina menzel like those you know like um all those kind of like powerhouses like bell and then she has this jazzy tone that then comes out and that the flip between her chest her head her mix is just an absolute masterclass in um vocal technique and I'm wowed by yeah. that. Yeah. So obviously they're both the two really at the top of their game. Um, Rob Houchin has been nearly in everything, I swear to God, <laughs> but is most well known for like Marius, um, playing that in Les Mis, but also in the concert version, um, as well as he was recently in like City of Angels and he did Eugenius a while back. So I, I, I've seen him in quite a few things. And Celine, she was Christine in Phantom for a while. Oh, so I, didn't know that. I think that's what she's most well known for. So obviously two incredible performers. And I think it makes sense when you watch them perform because beyond their incredible voices and the power that they have in their vocals, they are unbelievable storytellers. And not even in the way that they 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 make it obvious. It is again so incredibly subtle but so incredibly strong that you can just see it in like the twitch of an eye or the twitch of an eyebrow mm. or you know just one flick of the hand exactly what they're telling. And I think that is so effective, especially in a musical theatre performer. So Looking at, again, this in relation to the times at the minute as well, do you think the story and production resonates with an audience of today? And do you think it sort of was effective being told now? Well, I think there's a lot of things that um, the gorgeous director, um, Kirk Jameson, obviously did to make this feel a bit more of a, like a modern retelling yeah, of this. Yeah, I agree. Which, with the social media and the text, but also like, things like the drinking wine out of the bottle. I don't <laughs> think that probably featured in the 1980s when this first was put on. Um, and the costuming, you know, like the silk dressing gown with the silk nighty and yeah. the, all that kind of thing. Um, and it didn't seem out of place when they mentioned things like the Sunday Times because those things are still happening now, but it definitely felt fresh. And also, again, I think 
what I'm really getting at is that the design elements really felt like they rooted it in the modern day. Mm. Whereas like the yeah. storytelling could have been anywhere. Like you could have done this a timeless piece, you know, don't yeah. sit anywhere. Whereas like the set design, you know, with the couches and they had that plush yellow um, con- and it contrasted the leather, which was just both very modern fabrics and, you know, that you'd see in 21st century homes. So I think it was actually the design that helped this show resonate more with an audience. Yeah, completely. I think it was quite nice as well to look at that idea of isolation as well and how you deal with relationships, particularly in a time where you have to sit in a room by yourself Mm. with nothing else to really entertain you. And I think although this piece wasn't about COVID and thank God it wasn't about COVID, you could definitely feel that potentially this show could also be placed in the now. Yeah. I, even with the thing of like texting being like hey do you want me to come over it still feels very like you know modern like the rule breakers and people <laughs> like going against it to be like naughty which you shouldn't be doing but um but but yeah I think it, it really explored uh seeking someone out especially in this time or, or e- even this idea of breaking up with someone and then going into this time of loneliness and having to deal with working that out and navigating the emotions in yourself but also the emotions you feel with someone else and sort of um all those sort of themes. I also think that it was great to see a romantic story that there wasn't a happy ending for them two, but they also both had a positive end. Yeah, or, but also, I yeah. don't even... was. I think it did end positively, but I was also feeling like Rob Houchin's character also sort of maybe wasn't happy with his ending. I don't know. I don't know, because I guess it's the idea of it being another... It might have working in another time, you know? And I, I think... Uh, they were happy with potentially where their futures are, but I still think there's that sense of yearning for each other and that they never got to have that life together. Yeah. Celine's character, I definitely... Like, the social media, like, really sold it for me, you know, with all the Mm, different posts. And also, it made me think of, like, how different people can find happiness. Like, romantic love isn't the only thing that you should earn for. Like, and I think that was kind of, like like uh, sprinkled on with Rob Houchin's character of, you know, like him going to Brazil and, you know, finding um, solace and joy in like other things as well. But yeah, it's guess the ending. I guess it's open for you to interpret. I always just feel like when people go on a holiday to find themselves, they never really do. (laughs) (laughs) What you were searching for was all along. (laughs) So this is obviously um, another piece of live theatre that we sort of spoken about before, streamed theatre. Uh, it's probably more what I mean, um, but done in a very, very different way. So I think first of all, we'll just talk about the differences between this and title of show. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously, one of the biggest things is this is filmed in a in a theatre. Yeah, and probably I think the most important part about this particular show or the way that they wanted to present it. Yeah. So title of show was filmed in a studio for an at-home audience. Yeah. Whereas this particular production was filmed in front of an audience. Also, I'm guessing filmed separately as well. Yeah, but I think so too. the production wasn't changed for. Well, actually, it might have it been. Might have I don't been, know. Yeah. I don't know how much they will have changed, but it seemed very similar to what they probably did on in the live version. Um, and in terms of editing. This is not a, a negative or a, or a bad thing. So obviously, if you're a producer or you're a creative, you want to present the best um, version of your product. But I think like with title of show, I definitely felt like the vocals and the action and all the editing um, was like live. Like the vocals that you heard on title of show were live vocals. Oh, potentially, yeah. I, Again, I, really, I have no idea. But I really felt like 
you could just hear it in the editing. Yeah. Whereas like this, I definitely felt like it was a mix of maybe like a couple of different performances. Um, and the title of the show might have been a, a couple of different takes, but it, it definitely felt like the the vocals matched with kind of, what everything yeah. we were doing. Whereas with Marry Me a Little, I felt like in some of the songs, the obviously they're both her, they're both them them singing. It's not like anyone else is singing, but I just felt like the like liveness maybe was a little bit missing. But obviously this is not supposed to. This show was not supposed to be um streamed like it, it was supposed to be recorded but yeah. maybe not supposed to be streamed so i can understand the differences between that um but i don't think it was a negative like i wouldn't say it was a negative thing. i don't think it was yeah it didn't take away from the production yeah. yeah it's interesting as well what they had done with the uh showing this to an audience so they've done it in two very different ways so jackson lamb but the way they did it is that you had to be watching it live so the way mm-hmm. so when you when you bought your ticket that you were told okay you're going to be watching it thursday 7 30 p.m uh and we spoke last week about that feeling very theatrical because we were like, you had to turn up. The show was going ahead with or without <laughs> well, no, you. Yeah. yeah. Whereas this, you were given 24 hour access. So we got our ticket for the Thursday night at 7.30, but you had it until Friday, 7.30. Yeah. So there was more that opportunity to be able to watch it whenever you want, as opposed to being like, I have to watch it at this particular time. Um, so I think that lended to, a again, a more, a more streamed perspective rather than a theatrical perspective, which again, I didn't particularly mind, but I guess it was just different and more free i guess in 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 that respects i have a question do you know that you if you could have rewound or paused yeah marry, so marry me a little you can go back and we could probably go watch it 10 more times oh if we God. wanted Let's to whereas again <laughs> title of show you watched it once and then that was it i kind of like that yeah that you can watch it again because also like what if you needed a wee in the middle of it you know like and i know that's not very live theater-esque that's very definitely cinematic but I like I I would have liked to have watched title of show again. Yeah. Oh. Um and this actually does give you the opportunity that gives you something extra because I'm just thinking now, I'm thinking out loud. If you are not in a live theater and you, all the special things like you're sitting in the seats and it's plush and it goes dark and the sounds and you can feel when the music hits you and you can feel when the vocal hits you and it's that electricity of like anything could happen because it's live theater once you're streaming something and you take all of that away like what extra am i getting from online experience and i guess this could be one of those extra things yeah where you can rewind it you can watch a song again or like if you miss something you could go back or it's very Hamilton-esque isn't it you know like and I think that's nice but again because we were having that debate last week about what makes something theatre and is this becoming more film now and I think what Jackson Lambert were potentially trying to do is to make it definitely more of that theatrical experience um, which I know is being argued a lot amongst you know Mm -hmm. creatives in the musical or not in just musical theatre world but in the theatre world Um, and it's odd because obviously as a as a show, Marry Me a Little was filmed in a theatrical way with cinematic elements to it, but you could tell it was in a theatre. It was very much like Rent and Hamilton and all those other shows that have been filmed on stage for uh, at-home audience or cinema, yeah. cinema audiences. So it's interesting that they didn't do it the same way that Jackson Lambert did, that you had to rock up at a particular time and that it was streamed as if it was a show. But maybe they're looking at it more as a... I don't know what what experience does that give you if you if you're given more time it yeah. gives you more time to maybe watch it over again but again you're not paying any more to rewatch it so I don't I, I I don't know what they're doing by giving us more time to be able to watch it or maybe it's just to free up when you are able to watch it so they might not be going like oh people can watch it five times because there is a time limit to this you've only got a day to watch it yeah. in so it's unlikely
unlikely that people are going to watch it five times because unless you're an absolute addict of the show, you're not going to sit and watch it five times, you know. So it's interesting. I don't really know what what the the thought process would be interested to find out what the thought process behind the 24 hours is as opposed to do you know when this certain production was filmed was it in march or was it no, no. so this this was staged a couple months ago i think oh, okay. it, i think it actually was finished early because of the lockdown oh, okay. so i know it started in around about mid-october is when it opened oh wow and i think it had okay. a month run so it i think it potentially might have finished got closed early so i think i think that they were clever before and thought let's film it just in case we do go into a second lockdown so then they had it prepped and ready to go so they could still obviously rake in the well i was i was looking at a conversation on twitter the other day that it was about should all shows from now on record um their their productions so if fantastic segue yeah yeah (laughs) because um if another lockdown happens or you know another pandemic another virus sweeps the nation yeah. um what what will happen like is is this something that's gonna have changed theater forever like will productions always be filmed so for example like big shows like phantom for example i know it's closed at the minute with the date for it to be opened is not determined yet yeah but will they film a production i mean no, they have filmed productions of phantom but like the casts that are on the west end like those show is going to be filmed yeah well i think phantom phantom's a different one because god knows when phantom is going to close i think if we're going along with that argument that people potentially want to keep building an audience after the show's finished or keep uh you know bringing in revenue for that particular production Mm. it makes sense for people like katie lipson to uh record last five years because it had a fantastic life off west end and i think it deserves more more life and obviously because we can't do that at the minute with a transfer or something yeah i think it's a great idea to put it online and even if a show finishes its run and goes okay we don't think it's best for it to continue a, a live run i think it's a really good idea to keep it going somewhere where it can be watched and watched over and over again yeah uh, not only for for a commercial financial basis but also you know just to keep the sort of fan base behind it but i think for something like phantom there probably isn't much point filming it because would they lose audiences then but then you said again with Hamilton that you are more interested about seeing the production after watching it streamed true so I don't know I don't know it kind of um eternalizes that cast at that particular moment I mean I guess I would I would pay a lot of money to see many shows throughout history that have been to have been recorded you know Mm. like I would have loved to have seen the OG rent cast have done there you know there's so many like really iconic like I would have loved to have seen the the OG like next to normal perform that show I mean I haven't seen the original Dear Evan Hansen which is very yeah completely um come from away I think there's just so many shows that you want to uh, that you'd want to be able to keep watching once it's once it's finished you know because it has a special place in i would pay them all the money in the world to keep watching um rachel tucker and (laughs) clive but that's what i mean like exactly it seems not like a um a missed opportunity (laughs) but a missed opportunity like i don't know it seems so obvious now yeah do you know what i mean like why wouldn't they why why was that never a thing do you know like but it wasn't because the national do a lot of archived they do um which i don't believe is filmed professionally don't they just put cameras in and then i mean i think it's filmed professionally but it's not but like like not as in like yerma was or yeah yeah. yeah. um so they i guess they have a database of having all these shows so is that what we think theaters should potentially doing or should we commercially base them so that people can watch them whenever they want wherever they want interesting 
Because I don't, I don't believe it costs a huge amount to just get it filmed anyways. I know there's quite a few like off West End productions, like a lot of Adam Lenson's work that he's got filmed. Obviously it costs, but it's not the crazy amounts that like when they filmed Hamilton, how much that cost them, yeah. you know? <laughs> so yeah, I wonder, I wonder whether that is the future now of musical theatre is that people should potentially be starting to film productions to keep that sort of eternalised idea of it afterwards i like the idea of um being able to use the recorded material to extend the longevity of a show i think that's a really interesting point in this discussion especially for new work and new musicals like i know um obviously at central we just did a production of the limit and they have a a recording of the show at the vaults when it was first on but it's literally just the audio yeah you can't watch the actors perform it um and for those new musicals it's so handy for you know, new casts, and I guess you know investors. People, investors, like I think it's a it's a great tool um, for new musicals and new writing to um, be able to reach out and again extend to more audiences. Um, also, just a little sideway, little backtrack, and a little sideway. National Theatre Archive is actually really cheap. If anyone's listening to this and going, "What is the National Theatre Archive?" You can go. I mean, COVID depending, um, go to the National Theatre Archive and you can watch pretty much any of their big productions over the past like. 50 years? Like, I think something crazy like, like that. Like, it's something it? crazy. You can watch, like, Follies. You could watch Town. You can watch um, any any musical that the National have done. And it's, honestly, it's not... And you book a slot for just... how Obviously, don't book an hour and then be like, I can't watch all of Follies in an hour. Like, you can't do that. But I think it's an amazing thing that not many people know about. And I yeah. think if you're a student or a concession, you can get it for free. I'm pretty insane. sure it's free. Insane. But yeah. It's like a library, but for musicals yeah. and shows. <laughs> and also, I think I think having that, it offers audiences that can't necessarily see the actual production in its live form. Like, I love Dear Evan Hansen, but I unfortunately would not spend over $100 for a ticket. Yeah. And I think in this question of accessibility in all forms, in, in money, but also in, in travel, you know, there's a lot of like maybe elderly patrons that might want to see a show, but can't because they might not have the ability to be able to get to see a, a live yeah. theatre performance. Um. So I feel like this this stream theatre, although it doesn't give you the full, you know, that full impact that it has, you know, when you go see a production live, like you can't com- you can't compare the two. I think it's still a wonderful opportunity for people to get engaged in theatre mm. and understand it and have that first sort of basis. I think especially maybe for young people, it might be a great opportunity for them to sit and watch some theatre shows from like the comfort of their living room or something like that to enthuse them more about, you know, going to see more productions again like you said with Hamilton you feel more excited about going to see it so I wonder if by by presenting these things that audiences would would be more engaged or enthused about going to potentially watch it themselves and I think it's not just um as you just said musicals it's it's plays I remember watching like I am eager for anyone who's illegally recorded Nehi's production of The Wild Bride that toured in 2012 or something like 2013 like I would love to re-watch that production because I remember seeing that as a 15 year old and just being like if this is what theatre is I am jumping on this and I'm never ever ever, yeah. ever getting off and I've forgotten a lot of it yeah. as well and I, I, I can remember it being iconic and amazing and creative and imaginative in there but now looking back at it I'm like I wish I'd had taken that in more and mm. I could remember it more because I think it's such a inspiration and such a fantastic production I'd love to be able to watch it again. So revive it, if not. I mean, yeah, Nihai, if you're listening, (laughs) revive. (laughs) 
Um, we're going fi- to move on to our final section now of our podcast. Um, we can't really do Star of the Show because there were only two cast members. We're back at like it was in the last five years. So do you want to do a special shout out for a song or a moment that you Ooh. really, really enjoyed in this production? I love there that There were so idea. many, but... So my special moment was the second vignette, which I think encompasses all things bright and beautiful, part two, the girls of summer, and then it feeds into uptown, downtown. And it's just this array of storytelling, lighting design, and um, Celine Shoemaker is just like living her best life with her silk robe. And I love the camera shots, how it kind of like flipped the 180 and went over her head and just the way that her hair was shining and her voice was just glorious. And it was like this belt, this big supported, beautiful jazzy belt into this like traditional, um, such a strong, um, beautiful voice. And I just thought that moment was just so sensual for our mm. audience. And I just feel like it it was an incredible watch. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to have to be so basic and go with Marry Me a little. It is in company. And I think you know how much I adore that show. Um, I, I, and it's actually interesting, again, because um, sung from a female perspective, I know obviously she's not Bobby um, and she's not playing Bobby, but I, I just love to hear it sung in a different way. And I mm. think she did such a fantastic job of that number. And also, again, very interesting. I feel like it was, it had a different storyline to it. Like Bobby, yeah. it's so clear what he's singing about. And I feel like it had a different sense this time in the in the song. And I just thought that was really, really interesting. And it's, again, one of Sondheim's bests. Um, and yeah, I think she did an absolutely amazing, amazing job of that. I think it came at a really beautiful time as well. And again, lighting design was so subtle and but so effective in that particular number. Our backstage hero. So this is to someone who is in the creatives or in the crew that you think absolutely shone. Um, I, I can go first on this one. Yeah, of course. I feel like I'm going to steal your one though. Oh yeah. I'm going to go lighting designer. I wasn't going to go lighting designer. Oh, okay. So- I do, I love you yeah sam <laughs> <laughs> so i'm my backstage here is the lighting designer who is sam rocliffe tanner this lighting was so effective because again you didn't notice it but it added so much atmosphere yeah like i wasn't like oh my god like the lighting design is like there's so much happening like it wasn't uh like a pop concert it was very very subtle but again very very effective and i instantly understood who they were where they were and how that space felt i love that my backstage hero is actually going to be Eileen McNaught, who's the musical director. Mm-hmm. So there is a very big disparity between men and women in this particular role in musical theatre. And I think every single time I have worked with a female musical director, I'm like, yes, like women, strong women, especially in this role, which is obviously predominantly men. And also I obviously will never know the rehearsal process and how much... Um, Arlene McNaught did with the music, the band and the voices, but this blend of voices and the way that these um, songs were orchestrated and the feeling and the voices that um, that were singing these songs, but in a completely different way. And I, I'm just going to go back to that moment in that Can That Boy Foxtrot because that must have been a musical director's choice to have that fuck And it sounded like it was going somewhere and it doesn't, it comes back to Foxtrot. And I know from one of my friends performing this, that's, that's not how that song is at all. So this is obviously a choice that was made in this show. And I just thought it was brilliant, funny and innovative. And I think that's why she's my backstage hero. Well, thank you for listening to our second episode of uh, Waiting in the Wings live from lockdown. We hope you enjoyed it and do not forget 
forget to subscribe to us on all of the sound places. So Ooh. Spotify, Apple Podcasts, uh, Anchor, Anchor. <laughs> everywhere. Get on it and subscribe. You can also follow us on all of our social medias. You can follow us on our production company, which is Taximan Productions on Facebook and Instagram or Taximan Prod on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Anton Underwood. I kind of miss your. Old I know I miss Antoine XOXO with gone. two E's. But he's, gone. <laughs> he's a changed man. Lockdown changed him. What about you, Lucy? Where can we find you? You can find me at Lucy Helen Performing Arts on Instagram or Lucy Older Twenty Five on Twitter. Twenty Five. Why the Twenty Five? My birthday. Oh. Don't hack me, please. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. I'm not telling you the month. <laughs> Um, so we're now going to lead to our last segment and this is obviously our riddle me this, riddle me that section. So I'm going to give you three teasing questions for next week's show. So drum roll please. Question number one. This particular object features the blue face of our royal highness. Blue face? Blue. Blue, blue man group. <laughs> no. <laughs> so the second question is... Everybody was talking about one of this show's original cast members. Stress on everybody was talking or may still be talking currently, but not anymore. <laughs> and then the third question is the venue that the show is featured in has also a Big Brother venue that featured another show that we recently spoke about on the podcast. Very recently. Very recently. Not one episode recently, but two episodes <laughs> minus two well thank you so much for listening to episode two uh we hope you have another fantastic week in lockdown slash not in lockdown if we're out of this finally and you're listening back oh <laughs> a new world <laughs> but we'll see you next week guys thanks guys bye <laughs>